From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers. I'm David Bolander, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thanks so much for joining. Beyond the Skyline is sponsored by Ironmark Building Company. Whether it's a new luxury apartment building in the North Loop or expanding the community in the suburbs, Ironmark builds quality projects for discerning clients. Ironmark's foundation is built on a culture of collaboration with clients and projects that stand the test of time. Talk to Ironmark's award-winning team about your next construction project today. Go to ironmarkbuildingco.com. In this episode, Dorothy Bridges, Interim CEO and President of the Metropolitan Economic Development Association, talks to FNC reporter J.D. Duggan. Bridges discusses MEDA's mission and the growing focus on building wealth for communities of color. Hey there. Today we have Dorothy Bridges. Uh, She's currently the CEO and President of MEDA, the Metropolitan Economic Development Association, which supports BIPOC-owned businesses in Minnesota. Uh, Hey, Dorothy. Thanks for being here. Thank you, JD. I'm happy to uh, yeah. be a part of the discussion today. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Um, first, can you tell me a bit about how you were chosen for this role leading MEDA? Sure. So, um, just to give you a brief statement about MEDA, it's a 50 year organization and its services to BIPOC uh, and minority businesses have, its services have evolved over time. Uh, there is a product or a service. Um, that they provide that's much needed in its lending. And so with my more than 40 years of experience in banking, um, in terms of being in the trenches as a a lender, both on the consumer and the commercial side, but also as the CEO and president, understanding strategically how all of that fits, um, I bring a certain skill set that can be applicable to the growth plans that the organization has for uh, portfolio lending and the kind of partnerships it is developing with financial institutions throughout the state as partners, but um, countrywide as well, uh, eventually. So that skill set is what um, really brought me to uh, accept uh, when the board offered to have me come aboard to uh, lead the organization uh, at a critical time. Yeah. Um, Tell me about why the work that MEDA does is important. Yeah. So uh, over the course of of the 50 years that MEDA has been uh, in existence, uh, we've learned a lot in terms of what is needed for businesses, not just um, conventional businesses, but for uh, BIPOC-owned businesses, what is needed for businesses to not only start, but to survive and to grow. And so that that uh, that survival and that growth um, trajectory for our BIPOC businesses is critically important for our economy. You know, there are many statistics that you can point to that says, you know, Black-owned businesses, particularly uh, Black women-owned businesses, are the major uh, uh, employers for um for jobs, uh, and we all know that there is just this this huge demand for for skills in a lot of places, and so uh, creating jobs for uh, 
BIPOC individuals uh, is is critically important. And you know all of the the, the news uh, about um, the growth in the jobs market is not uh, equal. Uh, it's quite unbalanced. Um, whenever there's an unemployment rate in uh, white population, is two and a half times unemployment in black populations. And so job creation is a big thing. And we're looking to the growth in our BIPOC businesses to, to be uh, the catalyst for that kind of job creation. Yeah. It sounds like uh, pretty high level of stuff. How do you, from your role, um, I know the roles you've taken kind of stay connected to that more like the community side of it being on the ground sure. and things like that. Well, you know, as I mentioned, uh, I my my career, my lifelong career has been in banking, and so um, paying attention to those indicators that our economy is doing either well or not so well uh, is is pretty important uh, in that career and in in that profession. In addition to that, uh, paying attention to those same indicators on the community side of things and uh, understanding um, the second level of of paying attention, uh, understanding what those barriers might be. Uh, so working with the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis for almost eight years before I had an official retirement in 2018, uh, understanding what the data tells us, as you know, the dual mandate for the Federal Reserve System is, you know, maximum employment as well as uh, interest rate uh, management and so um, or inflation. Um, so when you when you when you take a look at all of these things uh, that I've been able to uh, really observe throughout my career in these various different roles, um, it is very very um, much um, uh, uh, an indicator uh, of what trickles down into the the community where BIPOC businesses are uh, really serving and. Uh, Economic development in most of our communities where BIPOC businesses tend to to uh, live uh, and to grow uh, is not on par with uh, some areas of, of our uh, local economy. And so the, the experience that I've gained from these other positions, being on the board of U.S. Bancorp, uh, being an executive at the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of, of Minneapolis, one of them stalwart. Um, researchers in the country, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it, it has afforded me uh, a chance to really dig deep into that information and yeah. use it for this, this purpose. Um, can you tell me a bit, I mean, you have a very extensive resume, um, like you mentioned on the board of uh, U.S. Bancorp. Mm -hmm. uh, you previously worked at the, at the Fed, like you mentioned, you're a trustee at the University of Minnesota Foundation. Um, can you just tell me about those experiences, how they kind of inform, yeah, your work today? Sure. Um, or just anything that stands out from from that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, being on the board, I'll begin with U.S. Bancorp. Being on the board of U.S. Bancorp, uh, certainly, you know, part of the responsibility of a board member is to provide um, oversight on a number of different things, both from a strategic and operational um, point of view. And you get to learn a lot about what is happening uh, operationally in that as an institution and where some of the pain points are uh, with delivery of services. And when you think about uh, the, 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 the backdrop that financial institutions today have to uh, really um, perform in, uh, there is a lot of, of expectation 
uh, both from our regulators on the regulatory side of things, as well as the uh, consumer, the community side of things, that we deliver products and services in a fair and equitable manner. And so the relationship uh, with the U.S. Bank Corp Board, I get to listen to and hear about the way we're trying to deliver those services. And more importantly, um, you know, financial institutions um, and other major corporations, public companies, um, they uh, are good stewards of our community. And uh, as a good steward, U.S. Bank Corps has certainly led the way in many cases with uh, the way that they lean in intentionally uh, in community development activities. So a lot of the different programs that they support fits into this wheelhouse of community and economic development that I'm leading here at NIDA. And so that's certainly uh, part of the experience. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis uh, being, you know, one of those stalwart uh, researchers. Uh, and so you get to understand at, uh, albeit high level research, um, just what systemic uh, policy decisions uh, are and how what's intended sometimes has a different impact. And so in study of that kind of impact uh, at the Federal Reserve and what I had under my purview as an executive was community development. So reaching out directly to community organizations that uh, rely on that kind of information to deliver their mission, uh, that the way, the way that they intend it is, is a, a great experience. And I was there for almost eight years. And then University of Minnesota, it is a top research you know, uh, university. Uh, and, and quite frankly, there's a, um, um, a relationship between the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis and the university researchers. Uh, so university researchers do a lot of the research on behalf of the Fed. Um, so, yeah, um, research, but also to uh, education uh, and how education does uh, prepare uh, for various different things and uh, individuals becoming entrepreneurs and the kind of skill set that is academically um, 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 offered to uh, universities. That too has um, really lended itself to me taking a, a, a much uh, deeper look at just how the, our economy operates and how money moves. So, and it's all about money movement. <laughs> right, right. Um, are there any things that Mita has done recently that really stand out to you? Any initiatives, businesses that have been supported, things like that, that have uh, been been great successes or just really stand out as unique? Yeah. So, you know, I'll start with this statement. I think oftentimes um, the way that we sometimes address issues um, and pain points is um, in a silo approach, right? So, yeah, what they need is technical assistance. And so we put money into this field to provide technical assistance. And then on another occasion, what they need is access to capital. So we put a good deal of money into, you know, providing access to capital. What they need is, uh, you know, um, um, a supplier or procurement. And so we put a lot of money there. What Mita does uh, that I think is, is really something that needs to be leveraged is it provides all of those services here in this organization. And so it is not just about, you know, uh, identifying that one specific thing, but to take a holistic view of um, businesses, BIPAC businesses, to determine where those pain points are, deliver those services, but not stop there to say, okay, let's go on this journey to determine what would you need that we have 
that will make you um, a, a, a more successful, more sustainable business. And so that holistic view that we have, I think, is quite impressive. And leveraging that uh, is really what we are all about here. Yeah. Um, Mita is a community development financial institution, right? It um, is. Have you noticed a growth in CDFIs in the past couple of years? Or so, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I and I think growth has been incremental because it had such a you know twenty five CDFI fund has been around for twenty five years, uh, and you have any number of different organizations that are CDFIs, including financial institutions. And so when you think about the growth of CDFIs, um, I was. Uh, intimately engaged as a CEO and president of a community bank in Washington, D.C. And in fact, it was one of the first CDFIs uh, on the scene. Uh, and, you know, the things that I learned from uh, my time at that financial institution is just how critically needed uh, CDFIs are across the country, whether we're in an urban setting or in a rural or suburban setting. Uh, and the pool of CDFIs are quite diverse. Uh, there are uh, over 1,300 CDFIs, and they are in, in all 50 states of, of, of the country. Um, some deliver technical assistance uh, and provide those non-capital, uh, non-lending access uh, to their services. Some are financial institutions, and some are like NIDA, where we um, do all, we try to be that a holistic approach for um, for businesses, for BIPOC businesses especially. And so I have seen a growth, but I think the growth has been incremental over the last couple of years. Sure, sure. Are you noticing any other trends? Is there more of a focus on just uh, wealth building broadly for BIPOC communities, BIPOC businesses? Absolutely. And it's not just, you, you know, CDFIs, because I think CDFIs have been, you know, sort of, uh, on this 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 journey of building wealth, although it wasn't explicitly called that, uh, but it's just to, to help um, BIPOC businesses grow or help um, you know businesses in general, small businesses grow, um, and converting cottage industries where you have a person that does something very well outside his or her home, um, and converting that to a legitimate, independently operated business and. Um, really providing for that uh, discipline of business activity because there's an opportunity for growth there. So, um, yeah, um, some of the things that we are seeing in terms of trend is, a, is an intentional focus on Black-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, statistically, um, as I mentioned, um, when you have a Black-owned business in a community uh, that's uh, healthy and it's growing, the community um, benefits from it, um, either through jobs or through, you know, offering of goods and services, but also our, you know, uh, institutions that are leasing uh, commercial space from others uh, are just growing and building community in a, in a very, very different manner. Uh, so the trend for building and growing and, and, and establishing wealth in Black communities uh, black business, the 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 support service for black businesses is really growing as 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 a result of that. So that's that's one trend. The other trend is uh, we've got uh, major movements uh, with the way we try to uh, equitably look at our economy to say 
you know, there's disparities uh, between black and white owned businesses or BIPOC businesses and white. So BIPOC we use as a catch all for uh, other than white. And what we need to do, and this is the trend that's happening too, is that to uh, disaggregate that kind of information and be, be really targeted in our approach uh, to get the kind of impact that we intend to get. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm also thinking a lot of promises were made in 2020. Um, are you seeing people, groups live up to those promises? And what kind of successes are you seeing in, in wealth building for uh, for sure. black communities or, or black yeah. businesses? I would say I agree with you that there were a host of promises made uh, and it's um, delivery and execution on those promises have, uh, have been, um, there's, there have been fits and starts, right? Um, and uh, if you were to poll today uh, individuals uh, to understand just what kind of change has occurred, I don't think you will find very much. And so I think what we we were missing in that is ten, intention and the fact that it was going to be a long haul. This wasn't a, you know, a sprint uh, kind of e- event. This is a journey and and uh, sticking to it. And sometimes the reason that things don't occur is because the system is designed for it not to occur. And so systemic change is going to be something that has a longer uh, process and a longer time frame. Uh, Certainly, you can look at uh, isolated places where there has been a delivery on a specific, albeit narrow, um, uh, circumstance. That's not the case uh, on a wholesale level. And so what we are needing and requiring and expecting is that people are intentional about seeing that kind of change um, happen uh, in 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 a sustained way. Uh, I happen to be involved in what is called the Groundbreak Coalition, and this is an entire effort that uh, for uh, over a 10-year period of time, uh, a group of of concerned citizens have gotten together under the leadership of Tanya Allen of uh, McKnight Foundation to deploy capital in our our BIPOC communities in uh, a couple of different areas. So $2 billion over the next 10 years is what the goal is, right? So that's long-term. But generally, when we look at these issues, we look at it as a, you know, one event and we did it and we're moving on to the next, you know, thing. So over 10 years, $2 billion in the area of housing, both in in terms of affordable rental and home ownership, small business uh, growth, uh, Black and BIPOC entrepreneurship, and commercial development in our BIPOC communities. So those are the four pillars of groundbreak coalition work. And so Mita is, you know, squarely uh, engaged and involved in the, in those efforts. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Dorothy, I'm not sure I have any other questions. Is there anything you want to add that I didn't ask about? Well, you know, as I mentioned, you know, a little bit about Mita as an organization. It's a 50-year-old. It was formed um, in 1971. And ironically, uh, it was formed because of lack of access to capital for minority businesses and minority individuals who wanted to start businesses. And, you know, a lot of the things that were discussed then are discussed now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. so you might wonder uh, just why aren't we making any traction? And I think a good deal of it has to do with the way that we went about it. Uh, if you're treating a specific sim- symptom in, in healthcare. You probably will treat the symptoms, but you don't know what the source, uh, the original source is. And so what we're doing is 
is um, we, we honestly believe this time is different. And, and so we're have to, having to look at the complete picture versus, uh, you know, symptomatic. Yeah, that's really great. Well, hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Absolutely, JD. And uh, thanks for, for having me. Yeah, of course. Take, Take care. Take care.